This is Cody Robbins from Live to Hunt with Cody and Kelsey, and you're listening to Joby and Shed with the Foshi Creek Podcast. You're listening to Joby and Shed on Foshi Creek Podcast. You're listening to Joby and Shed on the Foshi Creek Podcast. It's not as good to speak the language, but it's close. <laughs> All right, you're listening to the Foshi Creek Podcast. I'm Joby Holland. With me is co-host, Mr. Shed Whitaker of Mossy Oak. Our guest today is Mr. Dave Barrett of Pro Talk Outdoors. And as we, the three of us were kind of talking about before we got going, and also during a couple of mips, mishaps we had there, you know, have, have recognized Dave's voice over the course of the past year, and I just never never, never put it together. And, you know, it's from one man to another, you hate to say, hey, man, boy, your voice just sounds so familiar. You know, I really recognize your voice, Dave, but I... I just couldn't pinpoint it, and when we were recently down in uh, Atlanta together at uh, uh, Top Golf, we uh, listened to your voice again there, and I finally figured it out that uh, that you were the were the host of Pro Talk Outdoors, which is a podcast I listen to. So it took me a year, but it was driving me nuts thinking I know I know this guy's voice. So it's nice to put the voice uh, with the person, and uh, again, we had the pleasure of, of getting to know you here over the course of the past year, and we really appreciate having you here with us today. Hey guys, it is a hundred percent my pleasure, and uh, I appreciate what you guys are doing, man. I uh, uh, I really enjoy listening to your podcast. You got some good guests, and I, man, that's some big big shoes to fill. I I mean, it's an honor to be on, and uh, I, I wish we'd have got a little bit more time to to visit and talk about you know things that are important like fishing and hunting instead of playing golf, but uh, <laughs> down there at top golf because from what I saw, guys. Neither one of you fellas are golfers, and I know I'm not. So we probably would have had a lot more better conversation if we're talking about hunting or fishing. Been, been a lot, been a lot less of frustrations than what there were there, wasn't it? Absolutely, absolutely. Well, Dave, tell us who you are and uh, what uh, about your podcast a little bit. But tell us about your background from growing up to, to present day. Man, I tell you, I, th- there's not a whole lot to talk about uh, as far as my past goes. I just grew up a poor kid in southern Indiana that loved to hunt and fish and did whatever I needed to do to get outdoors. Um, you know, I, I, a lot of thanks goes out to my family members for, especially my mom. She was a stay-at-home mom, and uh, she did a lot for me whenever I was a kid and too young to to uh, drive or anything. I would hassle her, and, and she would take me you know, fishing, even though she didn't necessarily want to fish, she'd, she'd make sure I got to somebody of water to fish. If, if it was too far to, to ride my bicycle to get to, she would take me. But, um, you know, as, as I grew up and got older, um, you know, I, I started my podcast with Pro Talk Outdoors basically is, you know, the, the long story background of it, I won't bore you with, but uh, a buddy of mine, uh, calling JP is Johnny Pace, but JP and I, we, uh, we called some, uh, radio games for a local basketball team. We were doing all the high school games. And as the season was over, we had, uh, you know, some of our listeners were like, man, you guys should do a podcast. And this is about six years ago. And uh, I told JP, I was like, hey, I'm all open to a podcast, but if I'm going to do a podcast, I'm going to talk about something I enjoy, you know? So, uh, so we decided to do an outdoor podcast. And the thing is, is, you know, if, if you you know, listen to our podcast very much, or if you've seen our web show in a rut that's on Carbon TV, first thing you'll pick out is we are amateurs. <laughs> if it can be screwed up, we screw it up. Um, you know, so, you know, who's going to want to listen to us? So we decided Pro Talk Outdoors was going to be the name, and we were going to talk to some professionals in the industry and get some people on that had some knowledge and 
And I tell you, it's been a, it's been a blessing because I've learned a lot from our guests that we've had on and uh, been able to meet a lot of really nice people. And uh, it's been a, an absolute blessing uh, for us to, to be able to do that. I tell you what, you've had some really incredible guests. I don't, I, you know, just kind of looking at some of the guests you've had, and I've listened to, I bet seventy five percent of your podcast probably, you know, over the over the course of time since you've had it. And man, you've had the, I can't think of who you hadn't had on there that you that people would would like to hear. You've had the big big ones on there. Yeah, we have, and I, I'll tell you um, a quick story. This was um, probably about uh, six months into us doing the podcast, and we we have been very fortunate to have some really big names in, in both fishing and hunting on our podcast, but, uh, cause I'm just a fanboy when it comes right down to it. You know, I mean, I, you know, you go to the ATA show and you see all these, these guys walking around that you see on TV and I'm like, Oh man, I just love that guy. But you know, when it comes right down to it, they're all just good people, mm -hmm. you know? I, um, but I was at, at my day job, uh, several years ago, uh, not long after we started the podcast and my phone rings and it's, it's a Florida number and it's not uncommon for me to get a phone call from out of state being in the, uh, the transportation industry. But when I answered that phone, man, my jaw hit the floor. He said, hello, Dave, this is Roland Martin. And I recognized his voice right away. I was like, hold on, Roland. I put, I put him on speakerphone and I walked around the office as I was talking to him. I was like, yeah, Roland, I appreciate you calling me, man. How's it going? I made sure everybody in that dang office knew that I was talking about Roland Martin. <laughs> that was the coolest thing. Now you can, which I had seen. I'm glad you mentioned that about the basketball because I think I'd saw at some point on social media. You know, you had a ball game announcing. Nice to kind of see how that that evolved. And so you're obviously a sports sports enthusiast, sports nut too. Yeah. And, uh, Pro Talk Outdoors is that kind of it's under the umbrella of like Sportsman's Nation is that right with like it, it is yeah we, we started on our own and we we ended up uh joining with Sportsman's Nation and uh that's a great group of people over there uh they do a great job I mean put out a lot of quality content and uh just a good uh platform to be involved with because that's so that's Dan Johnson is, is a big part of that yep. in Nine Finger Chronicles which is uh, yep. To me, one of the one of the best podcasts out there. As a matter of fact, you mentioned the ATA show, and Shed was able to to get me in the ATA the last time they had one there in Indianapolis. And uh, the first person when I walked in was Dan Johnson, you know. And I mean, he just kind of bumped into. I said, you know, I just I just listened to you for the last four hours, <laughs> you know, because I was yeah. listening to make the trip go. He was you poor bastard. <laughs> <laughs> now, you know, he, now, did he did he tell you the story? I had that uh, lost that finger. I, I, yeah, I've heard I heard him tell about that on his, on his podcast. The job he was where yeah. he got caught in a fan or something, didn't he? Kind of a was it a fan? Yeah, something like that. I, uh, I don't remember exactly. But it's a funny story when he, he tells you about that. But I I remember the first time I uh, well, of course I, the first time I heard uh, Dan was uh, on Mark Kenyon's podcast. Yes, me too. Uh, Wired to Hunt. But you know, Dan, super guy, and uh, he just a big old burly looking dude. Uh, but, uh, he loves what he does and, uh, man, that guy's just real, you know yeah, what I mean? He, he's just he sure salt is. of the earth, real kind of guy. I think it's what's, what's made his podcast, uh, as popular as it is because he, he's an everyday guy that's going to tell you what, what he's thinking. You know, if he's holding something back, I don't know what the heck it could, it could possibly be, but you know, absolutely there. And was, uh, was it a big transition for you going from, from doing the podcast yourself to sportsman's nation? Was there a lot involved with that, that merger or was it pretty simple for you? Well, I tell you, if you ask Dan, he would probably tell you, yeah, it was a nightmare. 
but from my standpoint, it was smooth as silk, man. It was good transition. But basically what we did is, uh, you know, we talked to Dan and he, he wanted us to come on and uh, be a part of his uh, platform. And I said, well, Dan, the only way that I, I can do this is, and, and you guys know how it is in the podcast world. You have a, you got a catalog of things that are on iTunes or Podbean or whatever platform you guys are on. And we had already, we had, I don't even remember what it was at the time, like 80 podcasts or something that was uh, was out there on iTunes and Podbean. And I said, Dan, the only way that we can do this is I need you to take all that material and transfer that over to your network because I don't want to lose it. You know, I, I just, we had so many good guests and it's one of those things that I want to always sit back and listen to my podcast with Roland Martin or uh, you know, any of my childhood heroes that I had on the podcast, I want to be able to listen to those. I want my grandkids to be able to listen to them because I didn't want to lose them. So that was one of those things where he had went back with his IT guy and they had to transfer all that over to the Sportsman's Nation. So he probably didn't like me for a while. And if you probably asked him behind closed doors, he probably cussed me, but we, we made it work pretty good. From my standpoint, it was, it was great. Yeah, I, I bet so. He, he's got a good thing going there, no question. They cover just about every every aspect of the outdoors uh, really not just not just hunting but the outdoors you know when dave where you grew up southern indiana uh to me i think it's kind of a kind of a almost a secret as far as whitetails go and uh, it doesn't get the recognition that your ohio's or uh, illinois or iowa does it somewhat surrounds you there and uh, i haven't been just actively you know beating doors down trying to find a lease there but i have been been looking on sites fairly regularly you know i think that's a great place to to kill a good white tail and i'm sure that uh, probably out of staters come in and it's probably growing but tell us a little bit about the hunt white tail hunting there in indiana and and how you feel about it it sucks stay at home it's no good <laughs> you don't want no part of it it's a bad deal <laughs> no send us, some, I, I tell send us you. your trail cam pictures you got right now yeah, any gps coordinates would be appreciated too when it's shit <laughs> yeah I, guys i it, it really is a great state and, and it's kind of funny because if you talk to some some local outdoor forums that you see on Facebook or whatever, man, they will complain and complain about what our DNR is doing. But I'll tell you, from my standpoint, I think our DNR is superb. We have a great DNR. I uh, got a lot of respect for them. Um, it started about, I think we've been 12 years now, maybe 13 years now, that we've had a one-buck rule. It used to be you could kill two bucks in the state of Indiana. And, and what that led to was, you know, guys would go out in bow season, you know, just most guys, and they would shoot the first antler deer that come by them. And there was a whole lot of year and a half old bucks getting whacked there in early October. And they always had that, that extra tag in their pocket that they could either kill another buck with with a bow or they could wait till firearm season to kill a buck. And so essentially it was really bad for our uh, – you know, for our age structure with the, with the deer herd. But when we went to that one buck rule and they've got a pretty good antlerless uh, restriction going on as far as uh, our quota, I should say, each county has a certain number of uh, antlerless deer you can kill. So it, it's really done a good job of trying to keep the herd in balance. And then at the same time, guys have gotten a lot more selective knowing they got that one tag in their pocket and uh, a lot of those deer that are getting whacked early October, you know, 15 years ago, are now seeing three, four, five years of age, and sometimes you get a really good whopper that comes by. So 
it's it's one of those deals where in my area you know a hundred acre farms pretty rare there's a there's a lot of smaller tracts of ground and in those areas if you don't have some like-minded neighbors that are that are willing to pass up some deer then you have some issues with age structure you know because essentially if you got you know, you got three or four 40 acre parcels sitting next to each other and you may have one or two or sometimes four or five guys that, that are hunting that 40 acres. There's a whole lot of deer they can kill on those, uh, on that area. But for the most part, there has been a big time shift in, in guys wanting to see quality of deer versus just killing quantity of deer. And, uh, and it has, yeah, I hunt Illinois and Kentucky and, uh, Indiana on the regular and, Gotta say, my home state's pretty good. It, it holds its own for sure. The DNR can really make or break a, a state as far as quality of deer hunting, and you know Kentucky's sure. done, Kentucky's done to one buck. Iowa, obviously, uh, their DNR has done done extremely well there, and obviously, uh, you know Indiana's doing the same thing, and it definitely has an impact on people when you got one or two you know buck tags that goes down to one or a whole lot more choose or let a whole whole lot of deer pass by that. Uh, Normally, might have might have taken another year, so it makes makes a big difference. Missouri, of course, uh, you know we've got big deer in northern Missouri, but two bucks and uh, right in the middle of the rut. You know, I mean, right at, the, at prime time, and you know, I don't know that there's been much discussion for them to try to change that in. And I, the people, after having it that way for years, would throw a fit, but it would do a lot more. You know, do us a lot of good to do to follow what some of those other states are are doing as well. How much time, Dave, on on your podcast are you doing? A week, a month, how many episodes do y'all, y'all try to have one out once a week? What What's kind of... I tell you, yeah, I mean, normally uh, we, we do about a bi-weekly release, um, and we haven't followed a strict schedule, which, you know, if you ask Dan, he, he has fits with that. He wants us to be really consistent with our release, and, and we aren't. Um, <laughs> and really, it, it boils down to the fact of... Um, you know, we just got our, we got a lot of irons in the fire, you know, with uh, producing our web show and then on top of JP and myself, uh, we both have full-time jobs and I, I kind of run two full-time jobs, but, uh, you know, there's just not a whole lot of time to go around, but uh, we, we typically run like a bi-weekly episode release. Um, and quite honestly, I mean, we don't put a whole lot of time into it. It's more of a, with our podcast, you know, I realized a few years back, that it was kind of we come to a fork in the road and it was one of those deals where we're either going to go really strong at this thing and we're going to try to make this our income and we're going to try to make this what we do or we're going to enjoy it for what it is and it's going to be enough that's going to pay for our our uh, our habits and our uh, our hobbies uh and, and it's going to be fun for us and enjoyable and that's kind of the that's kind of the path we took um because I mean, and you guys both know this, I'm sure. It's uh, the outdoor industry is pretty uh, competitive when it comes to handing out those dollars for sponsorship, and uh, you know, it can it can be kind of cutthroat sometimes. Mm-hmm. Not that guys are are doing cutthroat kind of things, but it's it's a brutal business if you're wanting to try to earn your income on that. And uh, at the end of the day, we just decided this is too enjoyable. Let's not mess this up by putting too much stress in there with yeah. it. Yeah, the funds are very limited, and you, you've got to be doing something very ex- extraordinary or, you know, a, above and beyond the rest to really be able to get some of those in order to quit everything else you do. And what is your, what is your full-time gig? What is it uh, that, that you've done for an occupation? 
Well, I do I do a couple things. Um, you know, I, uh, I've i been in the uh, trucking industry as an operations manager for about 20 years now. And uh, very fortunate with that because it's one of those gigs where I get to work from home most of the time. I do go in the office once a, once a week usually or something like that, do a little bit of paperwork. But uh, working from home does afford me the, uh, the ability to uh, have a little bit more of a flexible schedule. Now, the negative of that is, is it might be uh, Saturday or Sunday and my phone rings and I still got to work. You know, I'm working 24 seven, but there is plenty of time in between where I can take care of things that need to be done or, or my hobbies or things that I want to do. So, and then in addition to that, uh, I'm in the health coaching industry now, which I know you fellas are doing the same thing. Yes, and, uh, you know how they, how rewarding that is, mm-hmm. has been for, for all of us. Sure. Sure has been. It's been a great thing. And you know, just the, oh, yeah. the relationships gained has been, uh, to me, is oh, yeah. extraordinary and as enriching and uh, fulfilling as anything. You know, really met some just great, great people. And, you know, as it, when we all kind of started, Shed and I started this, we were kind of fairly, almost right there together. You know, you don't know what what you're kind of embarking on or how it's going to go. You got a full-time job. How much time do I have? You know, what can I fit in? And, uh, I thought, I well, one, one thing negative, I'm out of here. Well, after about a year, right. I ain't seen it yet. <laughs> you know, every it just brings positive to your life, not only your, your health, your wellness, and how much we've helped ourselves individually, but the opportunity to help other people has really been the most rewarding, I would, I would have to say, and get to meet people like yourself. What, what's that add is you? Yogi's easiest client. Because mm-hmm. he told me about it, I said, man, <clears throat> you can make money doing this. I said, I'm in. <laughs> yeah, Where do I sign up? I'm in. Half the day. I about spewed my coffee out there. Yeah. I was... And then the next day, I was like, hey, I'm going to do this. I'm in. Send me this stuff. <laughs> I'm like, a, I'm like, are you sure she had, you sure you, you sure you thought about this? You know, I'm, yeah, I'm in, I'm, I'm going. So it's, do you know what to do? No, but I'm in. <laughs> we'll, we'll figure it out as we go. I, I Man, recognize, I recognize this, there, don't we? I recognize this one guy's boy shit. I'm pretty sure we can trust him. I think he'll, I think he'll lead us. Oh <laughs> uh, yeah. Man, I tell you that's, uh, it, you're right. It, it's just been an absolute blessing. And, and what it's done for me is, Gosh, man, I, you know, going down there to convention and it's like, I don't know if I want to even keep my full-time job anymore, man. Mm-hmm. I'm re- I'm just, I'm ready. You know, it's, uh, it, it's opened up a lot of doors and it's just been a complete blessing. So it, it sure has. Yeah. I've had several of folks who are coaching, you know, under me and to, to say the same thing that they're getting to the point where they're doing well enough with it. Why am I still laying brick? Why am I still out here? You know? busting right. my back doing some things, you know, so it's, it's giving some people some options and opportunities that they probably never dreamed otherwise, you know, and people taking vacations because they're making it they, and they hadn't had a vacation in 10 years because they couldn't afford one, you know, just even those little things make, make such a big difference. You know, just well, yeah, you know, and, and I'll tell you, it's like, uh, I think I was talking about this before we got on the air or whatever, but I, I love to obviously fish, you know, and, um, uh, I, I used to, I used to not even have enough money to buy myself a bass boat. You know, I mean, it was one of those things. I had little pond hoppers, you know, these little John boats or whatever I could get, you know, to get in these smaller bodies of water around here and fish. But I always dreamed about fishing, you know, some bigger water and, and going down south and hitting some of those Alabama lakes or, you know, going to Toledo Bend, Louisiana, uh, going up and fishing, uh, you know, St. Clair in Michigan for big smallmouth or uh, Traverse Bay in Michigan. And man, I tell you what, guys, I've been wearing those lakes out lately. I bought me a bass boat, and uh, my son and I—we're getting ready to leave tomorrow uh, for my fourth trip to Michigan this summer. 
you know? Right. So it's <laughs> like you talk about goals and how your goals are always changing and shifting mm-hmm. around a little bit. Man, we, we just bought a farm. Um, we're, we're closing on it here soon anyway, here in Indiana. But our next goal, unfortunately, I'm blessed. My wife loves to fish and hunt. You know, she's right there with me. She, you know, she probably get, get upset and pissed at me if I go without her. But, um, you know, she's right there with me the whole step of the way. But our next goal is like, we need to buy us a, a house in Michigan for, you know, for the summer just to get up there and, and stay on the lake. So it's, uh, yeah, it's, it's, it's been a heck of a ride. Yes, it has. And, you know, to have some financial freedom and this, I don't know if there's anything probably causes a person or a marriage or a family more stress than a lack of money, you know, having too much, I don't think it's ever been an issue, but you know, not having enough, it sure does. And knowing that you got some, I wouldn't say that. I mean, you got to ask guys like Bill Gates. What he just <laughs> yeah, he probably, he probably does. <laughs> what was the, uh, all that guy, uh, Paul McCartney was married like six months. I don't even know if he was married that long and lost, I don't know, what, $350 million to his wife because he didn't do a prenup with her. Yeah, didn't that was an expensive him. marriage there. He probably yeah. had, he probably like, had he, his We bill did phone. the math on it one time, and we figured it out. It was like every time he had sex with his wife, it cost him $100,000. Because <laughs> he was only, you know, even if he, if he did it every day. It was like, and he was in his 60s. So, I mean, you know, that didn't happen, but it was probably more expensive than that. But, you know, he was married to her like six months and cost him $350 million. You know, you know what his problem was? He didn't fish and hunt. That was his problem. <laughs> that's right. Yeah. Yep. They they probably didn't have too much of that over in Liverpool. I guess that's where they were from. When the, the Beatles, you know. <laughs> right. Yeah. Hey, Dave, tell us a little bit about your your show in in a rut. How, how did that get started? Uh, Working folks uh, access that. Tell us tell us all about it. Well, years and years ago, uh, when I was just out of high school back in the days of the big old VHS recorders, you know, that you sit on your shoulder, man, they were a chore to carry around. I, I started carrying those around with a buddy of mine, Eric Sparkman. And, uh, we decided we were like, man, we're going to film our hunts. You know, we're going to, we're going to have a good time. We're going to film our hunts. And we were fairly successful at doing that. Um, although again, we were not, we were not folks you're going to watch, to learn anything from we were not informative we were more along the lines of the old tk and mike videos <laughs> um i don't know if you guys have seen those but you, oh yeah yeah oh, if yeah. you haven't check them out tk All and right. mike they were they're they're a national treasure as far as i'm concerned but uh you know one of a local guy <clears throat> here by the name of uh, henry reynolds who he was one of those guys that put out a, a vhs tape of his hunts every year and he was pretty successful especially on a local level of uh, having a hunting show uh, he called me out of the blue and he said, Hey, I, I would like to have you help me produce my videos the next, you know, this season, if you're willing. So we, you know, we signed on with him and we helped him out. We did that for a couple of years and, and had some success, but it was back in that day, you know, it was young and, uh, married to my first wife and she didn't really appreciate the, the, uh, the being away from home or anything that I was. So that was kind of a short lived dream there. Um, and then fast forward to, we started pro talk outdoors. I started seeing more of an opportunity to, Hey, we can, we can do something now again and we can put a show together. So I just went out and I bought a, uh, a little Canon, uh, VH, I can't remember Vixia. It was a cheap model. You know, I think I spent $300 on this thing and, 
started filming some hunts and man before you knew it we started kind of rolling a little bit and getting a lot of stuff cataloged and and started putting some stuff together and then uh, you know we we got on carbon tv and i think we've released uh five i think we're we're getting ready to release our sixth season of uh of hunts now so and we've uh yeah it, it got to the point where now i don't know if i would feel comfortable going into the woods without a camera you know it's one of those things it's just it happens to be part of what i pack in now and you know more so than anything again i'm never going to be rich because i i have a hunting show and you know it's it's never going to bring me fame or fortune but at the same time the way i look at it i enjoy at times just looking back at certain hunts you know i can look up on my wall here and i can i can see you know several deer that i have mounted uh i can see this turkey i got mounted over my shoulder here and then I, I can go on carbon tv and i can watch those hunts and i can relive it and and now my grandsons who are now two and soon to be one they're going to be able to uh they're going to be able to watch papa's hunts on there that's <laughs> that's something i think about you know if i would have been able to to go back i would give about anything to see my grandpa's hunts oh, yeah. whenever you know uh before i was around or anything i think that's just special so yeah, I, I that's kind of what we do there now you don't look old enough to be a papaw there. I wouldn't have thought you'd had you're old enough to have grandkids. I say that's Man, I got started early. <laughs> <laughs> he had to stand no, in I... that line at school and I'm the pappy. <laughs> that's right. That's right. <laughs> Who's your daddy? <laughs> but uh uh yeah, so no, I you know, I'm forty five. Uh, okay, well, my daughter's not wrong uh, with that age. Yeah, my daughter's soon to be twenty four and uh so yeah, we we ride online there and the way I look at it, I got uh, got started early, and I'm gonna enjoy my grandkids, man. Because uh, I and and that's another reason about getting healthy. You know, I want to be around for a long mm -hmm. time, and I want to be able to to take my kid, my grandkids out fishing and hunting, and enjoy a lot of years with them. So, well, I've got a uh, grandson coming here in a, in a matter of a few weeks. You know, my son's getting ready to have a have a boy. So, is it your first? It, my my wife has a, a granddaughter, so I've got I guess you'd say a step granddaughter. Had have some great times with her. Really enjoy that. So she's she's got me broke in and uh, ready there to do ready to do whatever I got to do. Well, I tell you, um, it didn't. Whenever my daughter uh, first was expecting, it didn't really register with me. I mean, it just wasn't. It didn't hit home that I was going to be a grandpa. I, it just didn't didn't really register. And I had so many people that I'd run into that say, "Hey, congratulations! Are you going to be a grandpa?" And I'm like, yeah, yeah, you know, it's great, you know, but it didn't really register. And I tell you, um, it was it was one of those things that the, the night that my grandson was born, we were in the hospital. My daughter, there were some complications. And and I'll never forget this as long as I live. And, and God, I'm going to get choked up talking about it. But um, this was like, I think it was around 2, 3 o'clock in the morning. And I was still sitting there in the waiting room. And we were like, why is this taking so long? You know, because they induced her and everything. So we were expecting it to go smooth. And all of a sudden, all these alarms start going off. And I'm like, something's wrong. So I jump up. And, of course, there was these double doors that lock. So you can't get back into the delivery rooms. Well, I just saw a flood of doctors and nurses running back there. And I just kind of, the door was kind of open. So I squeaked in there. And... As I got in there, I saw him giving CPR and working on my grandson. Man, 
it was like it hit me. It hit me hard. It was like uh, um, you know, you, you don't even realize kids are special. Don't get me wrong. Yeah. Kids are great, but there is no love like having a grandbaby. And then when I saw that little fellow there get worked on, my heart, it hit the floor. And uh, all I could do was hit my knees and pray. That's all I could do. And uh, fortunately, you know, the hospital, they did great. I get myself collected here, man. I get tore up thinking about it. But um, they took him to the uh, the NICU in Louisville at Cosair, uh Hospital, Children's Hospital, and uh, he had to stay in there for a little over a month. But boy, you wouldn't know it now. He's uh, that boy's hell on wheels. Two years <laughs> old. He's a terror, man. He's well, good. You went from not knowing what the heck was happening. I mean, I guess they're gonna call me Grandpa. To, you was full fledged Grandpa at that moment. Yes. Uh, yeah, and, and I'll tell you, I, I said all that to say this. There is absolutely no job in this world that I would pick over being Papa. Mm-hmm. I mean, that's that's the best thing in this world. Well, I've never heard anybody yeah. say really any different. You know, you probably, I'm sure you've heard people say too, I just wish to, I'd figure out I had the grandkids first is what I hear people say. Oh, yeah, you know? yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So you get the highs you know, and lows when it's your own, but with the grandkid, it's just all... All good. Yeah. You, know, you, you can walk and away I, I don't from know how stuff. you fellas were raised. Probably pretty similar to me. But if I stepped out of line when I was young, I had to go cut a switch. Yeah. You know? <laughs> That's right. And uh, it was uh, when I had my kids, you know, I, I probably wasn't near as hard on them as what, what I should have been at times, you know, whereas what my parents were. But I was fairly hard on them. But I tell you right now, I can't imagine even whipping my grandkids. <laughs> I just want them boys yeah, can that's... do no wrong in Papa's eyes. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I, I've got a five-year-old, and that is the problem. My wife doesn't want to whoop him, or my mom and dad don't want to whoop him, and my mother and father-in-law don't want to whoop him. So they all have me whooping. <laughs> so I'm the bad. That's a tough job, you know that. That's not fair. That's a tough job because I know it's it's one of those things. And and my dad, I remember my dad telling me this when he's taking a belt to my rear end. He said, "You know, this hurts me way more than it hurts you." And I'm thinking, Dad, you're full of me. You're lying to me. Because this really hurts. But I get it now. I get it. It does. It hurts more whipping the kids than it does getting the whipping. Yeah, it does. It's a necessary evil. You got to do it for their own benefit. But it it hurts the soul, doesn't it? Well, you know, you've made some moves. How many many years have you been involved with the hunting industry? Dave, do you know? Uh, I would say six. Uh, Going on, on this is our sixth year. Well, what gives you the confidence uh, to make the moves that you've made and how'd you know they would work out for you and kind of how'd you handle those transitions? Cause you, to me, you've made some moves with your health coaching and, you know, with the outdoor industry there to just to jump in and say, Hey, we're going to do this. Well, a lot of people are, are, you know, are scared to make that move. And what, so what, what makes you a little different in that aspect? Well, I'm probably a little dumber than most. <laughs> <laughs> I, I probably wasn't smart enough to think things through at times. Um, but I've always had the, uh, I always joke around. I got a, I got a good buddy of mine that, that the one that I started hunting with years ago, and he's been my best friend since we were in kindergarten, Eric Sparkman. Eric, Eric's a thinker. He's uh, he's one of the most thoughtful thought processing kind of guys. He will, he will sit there and look at a job and analyze it over and over and over again before he ever gets started no matter what it is. And that, and that goes with hunting too. You know I mean? If he sees a location 
where he thinks he can move in on a big deer, he'll he'll sit there and he'll think about it and think about it and think about it and, and sometimes to a fault where it's too late, you know. And and Season's one of his over. favorite lines, and one of his favorite lines is, uh, "Yeah, I've been thinking about doing this. I've been thinking about doing this. You know, I'd like to do this. I'm not that kind of guy. I'm the kind of guy if 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 I get one thought in my head, man, I'm like, bam, I'm gone." You know, I want to jump on it, and uh, and many many times over the years, guys, I've I've looked back and said, "Well, I should have thought about that a little bit before <laughs> before I jumped." But uh, but yeah, I I've just never been too thought provoking on that. If I see an opportunity, I want to go at it headstrong. You know, and and if it doesn't work out, I'm fine with turning around and saying, "Well, we tried." You know, one of those deals. But but yeah, it's never been a uh, Fear is one of those things that I think kills so many dreams, whatever they may be. You know, if you if you have fear in your mind or in your heart, it's gonna it's gonna kill what could be. You know, and, and I've always looked at it like I want to just jump in and see what happens. And, and the same goes for you know when it comes to to pro talk outdoors or when it comes to health coaching or really anything that I've I've done. I just want to do it. You know, I want to, I want to see what it's all about and, uh, and just enjoy it while I got that opportunity. Cause you, you never know when that opportunity is not going to be there. That's you know, right. that, that door may just open that much for you. And if you don't kick it in and walk through it, you may just wonder why in the world did you not do it? Yeah. Well, I, I, com- uh, I commend you for what you, what you do. And cause you know, a lot of people are scared of it or they get affected or, you know, shed tells me, Oh, you could never do that. You know? And so, Oh, I, I guess I can't. You know, I mean, we listen to other people. We have our own fears, and and Shed would never say that to me. But if he did, I'd probably believe him. But, uh, <laughs> but you know, we let other people affect us. We let our own. And you know, when you look back on it, especially when you get older, you start getting a little more bold because you know, I mean, I've got I've spent more time here than I've got left. <laughs> you know, at my age, and so yeah, I know, hear what, you. what the heck do I got to lose? It's a shame that the people don't step out there with their dreams, and because they they can be realized if they just want to do them. I think there's a, a mix there of a little bit of what how Eric handles his business by thinking some things, but there's definitely a great value to how how you handle them, which is hey, I'm just I'm going to do it and give it a shot. What what I got to lose? If it doesn't work out, I've at least tried it, and I think there's great value to that. Most people avoid that at all costs. Yeah, yeah, and, it, and that's probably why we've made uh, have been such good friends over mm-hmm. the years and made made a pretty good duo when it comes to whatever we got into. You know, yep. he. Uh, there was, uh, especially our teenage years, man, he kept me out of some trouble. I'll tell you that. <laughs> he sure did. <laughs> but he's got to be careful when he keeps thinking about them deer. He sits there and thinks too long and season's over. You know, he's like, hey, it's March 15th. Season's, season's over. You know, we can't go after that one. Yep. What? Yep. Uh, tell us about your past deer and turkey seasons. You had some good success last year, and you, you mentioned Kentucky, Indiana, Illinois that you hunt. Tell us yeah, a bit about yeah, that. Yeah, I've. I've had some uh, some pretty good success. It seems like I never can have that. Well, I shouldn't say I never can have. About once every three to four years, I have that dream season where mm-hmm. I put it all together and I, you know, I fill my turkey tags in, you know, in a couple states, and I fill my deer tags in a couple states, and I have a good year on the water fishing. But man, I got some lean years in between usually. But this past year, you know, 2020 was great. Um, I. Uh, I ended up killing a really nice deer with my bow over in Kentucky, but 
you know, the biggest deer that I that I had an opportunity on, I screwed that up. And, and that's something, if, if you watch in a rut, you'll see oftentimes I screw things up. I'm a horrible shot. I, and, and it's not because I'm not capable. I'm very capable of shooting. But guys, I've been, I've been deer hunting for uh, over 30 years now. And I get shook probably more so than, than a new hunter would anytime. If a big deer steps out in front of me, man, I get all, I just start spazzing. I do. And I, so many times I punch that trigger and, and it's like, it's over before it even happened. And I'm like cussing myself and, you know, wanting to, good thing I'm tied into the tree with the safety harness. Cause I'd be wanting to jump out of the tree, you know, one of them deals. But I, I screwed up last year. I had a, uh, and it, it was one of those things where I, I put all the thought process into it. I mean, I had, there's a ridge on our Kentucky property on one of our Kentucky properties that every year since we've been hunting it, there's a couple of giant scrapes that open up in mid October and it just rains down with the wide Oak acorns, just, just rain down on the property right there on that ridge. And I had a stand set up in place and I went back and these cell cams, I don't know. Some people are purists and they don't believe in cell cameras. Guys, I've never been one to take a knife to a gunfight. If I can use a cell camera and it's legal, I'm going to do it. Yeah. So I slipped back in this ridge in uh, mid-September and I put a cell camera up right there where every year there's this giant scrape is developed. And my thought process was, I'm not going to wait till the rut kicks in and slide in there and be too late. I'm going to get it right. As soon as those bucks start hitting that scrape, I'm going to know when they're there and I'm going to be able to slide in and I'm going to hit that spot. So sure enough, it was the, uh, let's say would have been the 18th of October, I believe it was. And I had been getting pictures of two really nice mature bucks on that scrape in daylight. So I played the wind right. <clears throat> and uh, made my approach in there midday, was set up for the afternoon. And sure enough, I mean, with two hours of daylight left, this big non-typical, which probably wouldn't have scored great, but grossing in the probably 170 mark, he stands up out of his bed, just 75 yards away from me. Wind is perfect, blowing me right in the face, just a nice steady breeze. And I watch that joker feed on acorns, for an hour and a half closing that distance getting closer and closer and man let me tell you by the time he got in range i'm surprised he did not hear my boots knocking man i was literally shaking that bad and he comes in and this is the kind of bonehead stuff that i do he gets there and he's 15 yards away broadside now there's two big tulip poplars here that's kind of split and there's a gap that's maybe 16, 18 inches in between it. And he stops and his vitals are right between those tulip pop poplars. Man, I, boom, I let it go. And of course it bangs off the tulip poplars and the buck <laughs> bounds off and he just says goodbye and he's out of my life. Now, if I was a smart man, I would have waited until he made two more steps and there wasn't a daggone tree in 15 yards of it. I wouldn't have had to worry about hitting the tree. I could have settled down, took a deep breath, talked to myself, said, settle down, calm down, you get this done. 
But no, instead, I screwed up on probably the best deer I would ever had off with to date would have ever had the opportunity to kill with my bow. So I screwed that up. But the next day, fortunately, uh, muzzleloader season, early muzzleloader came in in Kentucky and I killed a really nice, respectable 10 pointer from that same stand. But uh, it was kind of like a consolation prize. It, I mean, that's like kissing your cousin almost. You just don't, <laughs> it, it don't feel right, you know, killing a deer like that after, uh, after missing one the day before. But I did kill that deer and then, uh, in Indiana was was uh, was pretty phenomenal to me. We had a, a new lease property that I mainly leased for the fishing rights. It's um, it's a nice it's a 135 acre piece, but it's uh, it's got a about a 35 acre watershed lake on there that's just loaded with uh, crappie and it's got some really the bass population in there is fantastic for Southern Indiana. It's a regular trip out there is is catching multiple five pound bass and that's just something we don't have in our area very much but uh, had some food plots on it uh put a lot of food plots on the property and and hadn't seen any good deer um and hadn't gotten pictures of any good deer but um i hunted the day before there on that property and it was in firearm season saw some deer but nothing what i wanted to kill and I moved a cell camera up on my way out and put it on this heavy run that just skirted the outside edge of the lake. And the next morning, I was heading to a different farm and I was on my way and I was actually pulling in and uh, my cell phone goes off and I look at it and I'm like, where'd that come from? And it was just a, just a really nice buck, big deer. Uh, had some junk going on and, and, uh, Instantly, I was like, turned around. So I, I turned around, plan B, I went back to the place that I just hung the cell camera up. And fortunately, the wind was right. I had a stand hung that I had never hunted yet, uh, but I hung it just for something like that to happen. And it was kind of that gray time, you know, where it's starting to get a little daylight. You can't really make out stuff real well. And I slipped across the field. I get to the base of this tree and since I hadn't hunted it yet, there were some briars that kind of grew up and was all kind of getting me. And I was like, man, I'm going to make some noise. I always carry those little snippers in my pocket. So I pull them out and I just quietly snipping those briars around me and uh, put them in my pocket. I reach up and I grab, I grab the bottom steps there, getting ready to climb. And then I hear ch, 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 coming closer and closer. And I'm like, oh, no. And I look over and sure enough, that joker's there 10 yards from me on the opposite side of the tree. And I can barely make him out, but I can see the frame of his antlers and I can see his body size. And uh, so I'm like, I just gotta, I gotta sit here and not move. So I didn't move. I stayed right where I was at. And in a couple minutes, he wandered on out into the food plot and I stayed there. I didn't move a muscle till it was daylight. Like I could see good and then I'm like, kind of look around that tree and he wasn't there. So, man, I shimmied up that tree and I brought my gear up, hooked the camera up and I pulled my phone out and I text my wife and said, Hey, change of plans. I'm not hunting where I said I was. Cause I'm, I'm big on safety like that. If I fall out of the tree, I want to make sure somebody knows where I'm at. Uh, and then I text JP and I said, Hey JP, I seen that picture of that deer. And I said, all I need is a doe to show up. I'm going to kill this deer. Put the phone in my pocket, sit down and boom, big mature doe steps out into the food plot right in front of me and I'm like thank you Jesus 
And sure enough, you know, she walks right in front of me, 50 yards away, and he pops out of the woods. Now, I'm carrying a, a 30 out 6 and guys, I'd never shot a deer with a 30 out 6 before. It was, a, I think, two years ago, it became legal in Indiana to, to hunt with a 30 out 6 and uh, so I bought one, and, and I'd always been a shotgun hunter or, you know, a 44 Magnum uh, hunter. So this buck comes out, and I had this sucker dialed in now. This gun, I could shoot it at 200 yards. I was maybe a quarter of an inch to a half an inch off to one side of the bullseye. And this buck shows up, and he comes in there, and I stop him at 50 yards. I'm already seeing him on the wall. You know what I mean? I mean, it's a done deal. So I pull up, and I, I fire the first shot. And I'm like, he flinches. And I was like, that's not the reaction I expected with a deer hit with a 30 out six. That is not what I thought would happen. But he's still standing there. I rack one and I shoot again. And he still paused for a second. And then he turns and starts running. So I rack another one and he's running away. I shoot and then he flinches a little bit. And I'm like, did I just screw that up? But it's quite possible because I screw up things like that a lot. And I thought, is it possible that I missed that deer three times with a 30 out six is dialed in at 200 yards when that deer was standing 50 yards away? So I sit there and second guess myself for a while. I call my wife, I call JP, they both come in. I had to wait for like an hour and a half for them to get there and we go blood trailing and finally, you know, I did hit the deer and we found him. But I found out what the issue was, why that deer stood there and let me fire that second and third shot. He was blind in one eye. That poor fella didn't even know what was going on. I so I got lucky. You know, a couple of years ago, I uh, I killed one that had one ear that was a droopy ear, and uh, I don't think he could hear me. Well, this deer couldn't see me, so I I'm picking on the handicapped a little bit. On your leases, are you able to do any any food plot work on those? You said you bought a farm as well, too, right? Yeah, yeah, Indiana. we did. Unfortunately, uh, we can. There's. Uh, in Kentucky, we put out oh, we put out four or five acres over there. Uh, right now, it's all all in clover. We uh, clover plots are looking pretty good there, so we kind of I just maintain those through the summer and and, and riding with those. But every year is kind of different for me on what I want to plant. Just a lot of it's just kind of experimental. I've been food plotting for oh ten years or so now, and one thing I figured out about food plotting is that I really don't know what I'm doing. It's just a matter of planting something and hoping that it works out and seeing what works good in certain years and others that don't. But um, I've got uh, all together in Indiana, I've got uh, I think five different farms that total around about 400 acres. Um, and one of those, I can't food plot anything, uh, but the other ones I do get a food plot and they vary from you know, a couple little half acre plots here and there to the biggest one, I think is five acres in size. And typically with the five acre one, I like to plant soybeans in there. Um, those soybeans I've found, it's just, we're kind of right on the verge here in Southern Indiana. Of, of if we get the good cold snap late in the season to make them really hammer the, the beans when they're standing, but you can't really go wrong with planting soybeans in my opinion, because it's a good forage in the summer and then when they start defoliating there's a little bit of a gap there where you really don't get much attention with them but man as soon as it gets cold again they come in and hammer those pods so works out pretty well you do a lot of summer prep work with your with all your food plots and yeah typically not a lot right like right in the summertime um 
I do a lot of frost seeding and clover. Like I, usually what I do with my food plots is I like to plant, um, I do a lot of work with real world, real world wildlife products. Mm-hmm. And uh, I, they've got a, a seed blend called Deadly Dozen. And it's a fantastic fall blend that uh, it's got 12 different seed types in it. It's really good from the time you plant it. Planting date for that in our area is mid-August to the first week of September, generally, right in there. But it's pretty palatable all through the season. Um, But after that's done, there's really no value there because it's all annuals. There's no perennials in there at all. So I usually like to go back after that, and then around February or March, I like to frost seed clover into those plots and then get a good clover stand. It's kind of the rotation I generally do, but if I'm planting uh, soybeans, I usually try to, I try to keep an eye on what the farmers in the area are doing. You know, if uh, I don't want to be the first one to put soybeans in the ground, because if I do that, usually the deer just mow them down. They uh, they usually don't get to maturity. Uh, if they do, it's kind of sparse. But I, I try to wait till the farmers are planting their beans, and then I'll go in and spray. And then uh, a couple weeks later, I'll come in and put my beans in the ground. So hopefully the the deer are overeating the the uh, the farmer's soybeans a little bit before so give mine a little bit of chance to grow up um so i usually do that plant plant window around here for the soybeans is you know anytime mid-may to mid-june is pretty good um i have planted beans as late as the first week of july but when i do that you usually don't get a real good uh, maturity on the pod so it's kind of not i wouldn't recommend that uh, but then I usually kind of have a down period where I'm doing a whole lot of fishing. And then uh, you get into uh, around first week of August, I do a lot of spraying, getting uh, getting the food plots ready. And then I'll go back in and, and start working them in, depending on weather, you know, uh, when I can get them in the ground. But usually I like to get them all in by the 1st of September anyway. You know, I won't say that uh, food plot aspect and the summer work ranks up there with the actual hunt of a, when you're after a big buck, but it's getting pretty close for me. It, it ranks right up there as one of the things I enjoy the most because there's obviously a direct correlation. You can kind of help architect it and get that, you know, to have that buck standing there or, or get him there, put yourself in a situation to be successful, but just, uh, you know, just planting and seeing things grow and and having an opportunity. Again, you go, up, go back to when I was a kid, deer season, you showed up, you know, in November and went out and sat under a tree and waited for, try to wait for a deer to come by. Now you get to do it for, you know, 365 days. You can just almost do something with it. And food plot to me is a, is a big part of that. And you're kind of your summer prep work. So I, I enjoy that part just as, just as much to see what I can do. If I can hit the rain on time, you know, if my, if I don't burn them up with the fertilizer to, you know, to make it through that. So a bunch of little successes there you can have. I think it's kind of directly correlated sometimes to how good of a season you're going to have. If, if you're in a place where opportunity to have such. Oh, yeah, I, I absolutely love food plotting. And, I, and you know, kind of going back to when I was a kid, I'm, I'm what you would call a, a, an aspiring farmer. I, I would have loved to grown up on a farm and, and work in the dirt. Man, I, I just enjoy that. I get great thrills out of working up the dirt and planting something. And, um, you know, it's always been a dream of mine to own my own, you know, and, and it just it didn't really feel like I was ever going to obtain that dream. Uh, but being able to, to lease properties or get permission from landowners to be able to food plot on their properties, that was, man, that, that's just, uh, it's connection that you get with the land that otherwise 
and, and you really can't put it into words because it, it, it means so much more when you harvest a mature buck out of a food plot that you created. And you know that there's a good likelihood that deer would have never been there That's had right. you not put that work in. And yeah, the prep work to me is, um, really it's probably more enjoyable than, than the actual hunt. It's almost like you get to the point of uh, the hunt itself and as soon as you, you release the arrow or pull the trigger, it's like, it's over, yeah. you know? And it's, it's almost a, a somber feeling that, um, that all that time spent and all that enjoyment you had working toward that moment and then it's it's just kind of over and you got to wait for next year you know <laughs> start right. the prep work again but um and the older i get the more enjoyment i i get out of the process the entire process and that includes everything i mean that's um you know the 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 summertime scouting just going around with binoculars looking at the bean field seeing what's coming out there and in indiana it's legal for us to to spotlight you know, without a firearm in the truck, of course, but uh, that's one of the things uh, Savannah and I do. We we will ride around uh, probably three nights a week, and we just, uh, we kind of cruise around and see what's in the neighborhood. Man, you, you just see some real whoppers out there, and deer that you otherwise never would have known existed. That's right. But uh, you get to see them out in the fields, and it, it's just enjoyable to kind of, you know, the entire process, and that, that includes getting out and shooting your bow, which I'm like Shed. I need to get out and shoot mine a little bit. I know Shed's been laid up injured a little bit. I don't really have an excuse other than I just haven't done it. <laughs> yeah, I, don't like have, I don't like having an excuse. I'd rather be shooting every day, but I'll start back up next week. I will tell on myself, quick story. One of the best deer I ever killed with a bow, not best because of his score or anything, but he had 24-inch spread, Just a just a real – beautiful buck but that year I was younger and uh and, and totally irresponsible of me I would not recommend doing this but I didn't shoot my bow a single time all summer and I pulled it out when it was time to go hunting and my one shot that I fired you know was uh was a heart shot on that uh, Pope and Young buck I, I think it might have been a deal where I was kind of going against my screw-ups in my head and I wasn't overthinking it I was just Going through the motions and I took care of business, but seems like I know I got some uh, target panic. Whether it's with a gun or a bow, I, I got some issues, fellas. I don't know. If you guys know a therapist you could send my way, I'd be I'd be happy to take that call. Well, if you don't get shook up when to me when big buck comes in like that, because you know you're anticipating when you're planting that food plot, putting your brassicas or your clover in this, it may, you know March or February when you're frost seeding. What's in your mind? You're doing it because that big buck's coming so the anticipation i mean it's building for a year a year it's amazing oh yeah we don't do it more than we do you know but and i've done i've, I've been i've had my gun you know out the window of a blind and almost like through the gun you know toward the deer i can just catch myself jumping <laughs> you know and i calm down and sometimes and it would depend sometimes i can see him coming for miles away and i'm fine most of the time when I see them a short distance, I don't have time to think, so I'm fine. But I've had times where that's happened, I've gotten shook up. Or a big buck's come in, I haven't got shook up, but then another day a doe comes in. It, it's just amazing how it hits you. There's no really rhyme or reason. It's uh, it's part of it. But the key thing to me is, you know, the more you keep going, the more you're, you know, you're going to have the days where it all falls together and you do it right. And that's what makes you appreciate them. We all try to get our little mechanisms of, saying things to ourselves and sometimes if i've got time it's just me and i go back to my coaching days and of course i i, I need my coach there to paddle me shed you know is what i need 
Tell me straighten my butt up, but yeah, I'm yeah. Over basically slapping myself in the face and say, you know, straighten your butt up. You're better than this. Take a deep breath, you know, just trying to coach myself through it. But I think it's a good thing too. It shows you excitement and love for it. Yeah, I, I guess I need that. I need somebody coaching me in my ear. But you know, and and it's funny, even when I'm running the video camera and I'm filming somebody else, man, I'm horrible. I I hate going back in in editing video when I film someone else harvest an animal because I'm like, Dave, just shut up. Why can't you just shut up? I I cannot keep my mouth shut now. I filmed Savannah kill her, you know, uh, kill her first turkey, and and she killed a nice buck last year with a bow, and and I watched those videos back, and and I'm like coaching her the whole way, even though she doesn't need it, you know. But I'm like, here it comes, get ready, get ready, yeah, take your time, take your time, aim small, miss small, you got it, you got it, come on, settle down, settle down, wait, 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 now, now, all right, all right, take him now, take him now, take him now. I mean, I'm that bad, guys, and it's, I'm like. Uh, and I, all I can do whenever I watch it back with whoever I'm filming, I just look yeah. at him. I say, "I'm sorry, I'm sorry. I can't help it." And then do it again. <laughs> then do it again the next time. Yeah, and I do it the same thing over and over again. Well, Dave, you had some. You know, as we mentioned earlier, you've had some incredible guests on your podcast, and you, you mentioned I think real world, uh, real world outdoors products that you use. And you know, Don Higgins, yep. I I listen to him a bunch. He's kind of a uh, to me, an under-the-radar almost whitetail authority is is becoming one, a guy that takes it very, very seriously and studies it. And, you know, with, with those guests you've had, who who in your mind has been one of the most memorable guests that you've had? Is there anything that sticks out from, from any of those or anything that maybe you, you learn from them that you that now you use? Obviously, you haven't. no one's taught you any techniques for how to calm down. But is there no, anything you've taken I, from maybe them? Maybe I need to be talking to, to uh, psychologists or therapists <laughs> for that one, but... Uh, you know, we have had so many great guests, and and I always try to try to learn from whoever it is that I have on. You know, I, I try to pick something up and learn something off of. Them. You mentioned Don Higgins, and and I'll tell you, Don is that guy is on another level. I've learned a ton from him. You know, I've been, I've been on his farm in Illinois. Haven't been able to hunt that yet. So Don, if you're watching this, I'll take any open invite. <laughs> but uh, but you know, just the way that he constructs his property. I mean, he he built the best big buck paradise that you could ever imagine. It's literally the Valhalla of of deer hunting. He's on another level. Uh, a man of high integrity. I have nothing but the utmost respect for him. So I've learned a ton from him. But you know, guys, I, we've had so many Bassmaster Classic champions on our podcast, and, and guys have won the Forest Wood Cup, and I'm a big fishing fan, and huge, just huge admirer of so many people. Roland Martin, you know, I grew up watching Roland Saturday mornings, mm -hmm. you know, when I was a little fella. Uh, just a great deal of respect for him, and guys that I consider great entertainers. You know, Kip Campbell has a, a very entertaining show, Red Arrow. Yeah, the juries, Mark Drury, I've had him on the podcast multiple times, and that guy's just a professor when it comes to, to figuring deer out, and I've learned a ton from him. Lee and Tiffany Lukoski have a great backstory and, and just what they've been able to do. And a lot of times people, I think, look at folks like the Drury's and the Lukoski's and, and they see somebody that has thousands and thousands of acres that they can hunt. And, and they always make the comment or maybe think in the comment in their head of, 
Well, if only I had the properties that you had to hunt, I could do what you do yeah. and be successful like that. Well, they don't realize that Lee and Tiffany Lukoski were having their home foreclosed on them in Minnesota, and they almost lost everything. Lee was scraping together a change out of the, the pickup truck so he could buy a 99-cent hamburger from McDonald's so he'd have food to eat. Mm -hmm. I mean, that's the kind of sacrifices that those folks made in the beginning to be able to get to where they're at. Just chasing a dream. You know, that's yeah. what it boils down to. But the knowledge that they have and, and the hard knocks that they went through to get there is something that people don't see. They just see the uh, the final product mm -hmm. that hits outdoor television. So, I, you know, I've learned so much from, from so many guests. And, and God, there's there's a bunch of them. I'm probably going to get done with this podcast here, guys. And I'm going to say, man, I should have mentioned this one or that one. But we've been blessed to have so many great guests and, and to kind of get their stories and, and learn from them and, and just – kind of open up and share their knowledge with us. You know, it's, it's just been a blessing to, to be able to do that. Yeah, a lot of those that you mentioned, kind of like what we talked about there earlier, and people do, you hear that a ton. If you look at forums or anything, it's like, I could do that too if I had 2,000 acres and food plots. Well, you know, they didn't just start there. You know, they did the things we talked about earlier, which was chasing their dreams, and that meant, you know, stepping out of that comfort zone, taking ridicule from people who said you couldn't do it or maybe you didn't have the money to do it, but now's the time, let's make it work. They, they've earned everything they've re received. And, uh, you know, you, you mentioned the juries and, you know, what great people they are. They come from here very close to my neck of the woods and, you know, good quality people. And say Don Higgins, all appearances there, God-fearing man. That, yeah. that That's his passion. And he's, uh, I don't know that anybody ever figures it out. And I, I'm sure he would probably say the same. But, man, he, some of those are getting, they get awful close. <laughs> they do as good as a human being can possibly do. And so, yeah, you've had some dandies on there. So I know that you, you you've taken some great, uh, some great things from them and got you some great re resources. What what strategies from Dave Barrett's standpoint as we get close to deer season, Missouri, we're starting September the 5th, 15th. So, you know, less than a month, we'll start here. Uh, what what strategies uh, would Dave Barrett suggest for people as, as deer season is getting close? Well, first off, I'd say you're probably asking the wrong guy because <laughs> if it can be messed up, I'll figure out a way to mess it up. But I, I will tell you what I like to do. My season always starts out in Kentucky, and uh, we're just two and a half weeks away from the opener right. in Kentucky. That's right. So uh, now, and I know, guys, I know it, some people are purists and it's frowned upon, and they're totally against the whole baiting thing. But again, I'll tell you, Dave Barrett's philosophy: if uh, uh, if it's legal and I feel like it's ethical and morally correct, I'll do it, and I feel like it's okay for me to bait in Kentucky, mm -hmm. and uh, and that's what I do. I typically. Uh, as far as my success goes in the state of Kentucky, I will, right now I'm running, uh, running some corn and I've got some mineral sites in Kentucky and I've got cameras on them. And usually every year I'll have a target buck that, that's pretty consistently coming in there. Now, if I can put it together and uh, get those deer coming in in daylight and get the right wind direction, I'll try to move in on them early and try to kill one in belt. It worked out great in 2017. I killed a 150-inch um, 10-pointer in velvet that was a mature buck. He was at least seven and a half. I think they said he was seven and a half plus with the uh, the age, but it rarely works out like that for me, you know. But that's what that's what the goal is. Uh, I don't take risks. I'm a very uh, low risk taker. Um, if it's not perfect, I usually don't move in and try it. I will make sure that I always hunt the wind and I try not to get into anything that's going to screw something up, you know, whether that be my entry, entry or exit out of the stand. 
if I feel like, especially early in the year, if I feel like it's going to screw something up or has the potential to screw up a stand location, I just won't hunt it. So I do a lot of, early in the season especially, I do a whole lot of uh, watching the weather, uh, watching the wind direction. There's a lot of times I'll go fishing instead of going hunting just because it's just not the correct time. Now, I'm a 100% believer in uh, what Mark Drury says as far as uh, times to hunt, whether it's uh, full moon, uh, days preceding and days uh, yeah. after the full moon, and big bucks being more active. And then also with weather fronts, I watch those things religiously and I, I try to time my hunts around those, which is not easy for guys. You know, a lot of guys, they, you know, they're working 40, 50, 60 hours a week and they got Saturday or maybe just Sunday to hunt and you can't really be picky and choosy with your time and you got to go when you can go. Uh, for me, fortunately, I can kind of have a little bit more uh, lateral ability with my, my schedule. So I, I just hunt when the time is right. Uh, I don't like to move in and get too aggressive, um, especially early in the season. But now if it gets a little later in the year when it's time to hunt ruts, you know, the ruts firing up, I'm going to hunt funnels and, and I'll get a little aggressive there. Um, I'm not a big fan of calling or using any kind of scents, probably because I'm probably not a good caller. So that, that's probably a big part of it. But if I don't visually see a buck, I will not like Savannah and I argue in the tree stand all the time about this. She's like, Hey, you got the can on you? Yeah. Use that can. I don't want to use the can, honey. I don't want to use the can. Blow that grunt call. Blow it. Blow it. And I just feel like that I'm educating the deer. You know, if I if I can't see him, I don't know where he's at. I don't know how he's going to react to that call. I don't know if he's downwind of me and he's going to all of a sudden hear that and just get a sniff of me and then be gone for my life and I won't have an opportunity. So I don't want to call unless I can visually see that animal so I can see how he reacts. Now, if I if I see a a good buck and the wind's right and he's out in the field and, and you know i'll snort wheeze at him if the time's right or i'll pull the can out or i'll grunt at him or something or i may even rattle a little bit but i just don't and again i know there's a lot of guys that have a high success rate in doing that but it's just not me and i, I don't want to screw something up so and that kind of goes back to some of the things I, I learned from don higgins you know he's a he's a mentor of mine and and uh, I don't know the exact thing, what he says here, but it's something along the lines of for every one mature buck that you call in blind, you're educating 20 more. So I'm not that good, guys, and I, I, I can't afford to, to screw up on anything. So I'm, I, I usually play it pretty safe. You know, with, with the hunting properties, leases you have, you know, it's getting harder and harder today. In uh, my day as a kid, you know, growing up 35 years ago was no problem you know, ask somebody for hunting permission, especially if you had a bow because they didn't really think he was going to kill anything anyway. You know, yeah. so yeah, have at it. You know, you might not get gun permission, but a lot harder today to do that. What do you do as far as obtaining permission to hunt or from a leasing standpoint, do you use some of the websites or the companies that do that? Or do you do that to individually word of mouth type deal with your, with your leases? I've been incredibly blessed and fortunate with, and I know it's getting harder and harder these days, but, and again, this kind of goes back to just don't have fear. If I see a piece of property that I want to hunt, I just go right up to the door and I knock on it, introduce myself, give them a good firm handshake and uh, 
have a conversation. Now, a lot of times, there's no possible way you're going to get a yes out of that. But at worst, I have a nice conversation with somebody, and and the uh, you know I've had people develop into friendships that I, I go back and see from time to time, even though I know I'll never get to hunt their property because it, whether it's family members hunt or they hunt or something like that. But every once in a while, you'll pull in the right driveway and you'll knock on the right door, and somebody will say yes. And when they do, man, I, I guard those relationships fiercely. And, and that's what happened in the state of Kentucky. Um, and and I, I say it's like divine intervention. I just, the good Lord looking down after me that day, I decided, this was after I started in a rut, and I decided that I was going to find me somewhere to hunt in the state of Kentucky. Um, I left my office in Louisville, and I just took off driving. And for whatever reason, I pulled off at certain exits and I, I went to a certain place. The third place that I knocked on the door, met a super nice guy and gave me exclusive permission. And I've had that for five years now. And with that, you know, I, I don't take that for granted. Every year he gets a Christmas basket. Uh, he's got a couple little girls. They get some toys in that basket. You know, he, his wife might get a bottle of wine. He might get a little bit of uh, Woodford Reserve or something in there. You know, a couple of gift cards to go to the movies or take the family out to dinner. I mean, I take care of them. But, mm-hmm. uh, you know, as far as the leases go, the the lease that we have now in Indiana, um, it was not it was not listed with anyone. I didn't even look at any. Of the, I looked at some of the sites. You know, the uh, there's several of them out there didn't see anything that I really wanted and, and they all truthfully seemed pretty pricey for what the property looked like it had potential wise. So I literally, I got on on X and I'm looking around at properties that were within the geographical area that I would want to entertain having a lease. And I literally picked out a, a property and I said, I want that one. That's the one I want. <laughs> So my wife is much more tech savvy than I am. I had no idea. I mean, I could see who owned it, but I had no idea how to get a hold of them. But my wife, she gets on the internet and she da 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 whatever, and she says, "Here's their phone number." So I call them up, and, and of course they're out of state. They live in Florida, and I tell you, to never have a face-to-face conversation with somebody, never meet them in person, they've developed into great friends. And it was crazy. It was like I was calling a relative whenever I talked to them. I literally was having, before they ever committed to say they would even let me hunt or lease the property, we had several hour to hour and a half long conversations on the phone. And these conversations had absolutely nothing to do with hunting or fishing. They were all to do with talking about kids and grandkids and family members and, you know, who knows who and what in the area. And and it just developed into a rapport where they felt like I'm probably a pretty decent guy. I'm probably going to take care of their property and they're in the state of Florida and their properties in Indiana. And it just made good sense that they had somebody looking out for their interest. And Hey, I'm also going to send them a check every year to be able to hunt and fish. So it's a win-win that that's kind of how I did it. Um, you know, unconventional maybe. And, and it may not be a high success rate for a lot of people, but I'm very fortunate it's worked out for me. Is there a price per acre you have in mind or a price per acre that you're not going to go over? Or how do you how do you do it from a cost standpoint? Because probably like in this situation, they had no background of knowing 
what they would want because they hadn't thought about it, obviously. What What's your barometer well, for that? Can I call my wife and ask her? <laughs> <laughs> she said, it's one of those things. Here's how much you got. You know, don't spend more than that, huh? Yeah, it's one of those things where I had a number in my mind where I felt like, man, this is worth this to me. Um, and we, we worked out a pretty good deal. Now, in our area, I've seen things go for ridiculously high prices that certainly were not worth that, in my opinion. I mean, I've seen open fields with one little tree line that doesn't connect to anything yeah. and had very little uh, possibilities go for $30 an acre. Mm-hmm. And I'm like, ooh, gosh, man, just save that money and buy your own property somewhere because yeah. you could do it. You know, I've seen a lot of properties go that were really good properties for, you know, $10, $15 an acre. And if I can stay somewhere in there, I feel like I'm doing really well um, with what I'm getting. So, and, and there's there's so many things that guys don't think about whenever they're leasing property that, that come up to bite them later. And those are things like, you know, if you don't get it in writing and get a contract and know that you've got exclusive hunting rights, the landowner may be thinking something totally different. They mm-hmm. may be thinking you're paying more of a trespass fee and they can still let their uncle or their cousin yes, or somebody they, hunt yes, they do. or gain access to the property or go back and cut firewood in the middle of November or whatever and just really kind of screw up the whole deal. So it's important to have those conversations on the front side, work it all out. And, you know, it really comes down to what's it worth to you. This particular piece of property in Indiana has worked a lot to us because we don't just get to hunt it in the fall. We get to, uh, you know, we get a turkey hunt it. We get a fish all year. We get a deer hunt. We get a rabbit hunt. Uh, we get a duck hunt. We get to do all kinds of things there. So it, it, it's obviously it's worth more to us in that aspect than a piece of property where we would just be able to go deer hunt a couple of times a year because we'd blow everything out if we hunted it more than that. So Now, do you write up your own contracts for that or do you have somebody do that for you? No, I didn't. Um, the uh, fortunately, they they wrote it up and they had it. Now I have I have done that before. I've had an attorney write it up. They're pretty reasonable. Like mm-hmm. a lot of times, attorneys will charge you fifty bucks or a hundred bucks just to. They've kind of got a blanket contract and they'll kind of oversee the process. But uh, these particular landowners, they had one. They just wrote it up and they had a couple of uh, you know a couple of particulars in there. They wanted to make sure it was in there, and I was I was okay with them. So it worked out pretty well. Did you have, with that property kind of sitting there unattended for some period of time, did you have any issues on that particular place as far as trespassers and people who'd yeah. kind of been taking liberties of, the, of their own? Yeah, for sure. There were, uh, there was one guy in particular that, uh, it's kind of funny. It was one of those deals where his dad had farmed that ground 10 years prior. And he just automatically took control of it. Like it was his and he was going to hunt it. And he had stands all over the place. And I didn't know this guy even existed. I knew there was some stands on the property and I I figured at some point I would run into him. But it was kind of funny. uh, Savannah and I were out in a boat fishing on the lake. And at this point I hadn't met the farmer yet. And I didn't know who was farming the ground because the, the, the tillable acreage was, uh, was leased to a farmer man, we're way across the lake and we're in, we're in our little John boat fishing. And I look over on the bank and there's a guy standing over there. He's like this, just, just, you know, give me that hateful look, like, get over here. Like, what the heck are you doing on this property? You know? So in my mind, I thought, well, that's the farmer. You know, he just, 
he doesn't know yet, but I'm going to go introduce myself. And I had, I'd locked the gates and I had a key made for the farmer and, and I was going to meet the farmer and give him the key. So I just assumed that, Hey, he had to park out there by the road, walk all the way back here. And he's pissed because he can't get in his field. So I pulled the boat up there on the bank and I'm like, Hey man, I was like, uh, so you must be the farmer. And he's like, well, my dad is, well, his dad doesn't even farm it anymore, but that's what he said. And he's like, well, what are you doing here? I said, well, I got the lease on this property, you know, to hunt fish. And he's like, his demeanor changed immediately. He was like, Oh, and then that conversation went, and I was still a full on mode of, Hey, let me get you a copy of the key, man. I want to give you a key to the gate. And my wife was like, Hey, Hey, hey no, don't, don't come, come here. Come here, come here. <laughs> she knew the fella. She, she knew of him. She's like, do not give that guy a key. He's bad news. Do not give that guy a key. So I'm like, oh, okay. So then in talking to him a little bit more, I found out he'd been hunting. So I kind of was like, hey, man, I, not my business, but I know that you never had permission to hunt this. So I'm just going to let you know I'm fine with you taking a couple weeks to get all your stands out of here, and please don't come back. Well, the guy was like, well, you can have my stands. I don't even want them. And he just left, and to my knowledge, he hadn't come back, you know, so – um, that was the one guy we had an issue with. Now we did have a couple people that were, uh, trying to slide back there and go fishing that didn't have permission. But again, you lock a gate and make it a little bit more, uh, difficult for them to get to the water. And they, that kind of goes away and takes yeah. care of itself. Usually you thump them one time with the game warden. It gets out. They don't. <laughs> well, yeah, that's the funny thing I, I did. I talked to the game wardens in the area and they, uh, they said, Hey, you've got our full support. If you need us, just call us. But I, I never had that issue. I haven't yet. You know, we've had the property for this is our second year and you know, knock on wood, haven't had any issues. So hopefully we won't have that, that happen. Dave, you got time for just a few questions, kind of uh, just one word or two answers. Kind of some quick oh, hitters. Lord, I got time, but I don't know if I can answer them right, but I'll try. <laughs> what's, uh, what's one thing that you look forward to the most as it relates to deer season? Oh my gosh, shed season, believe it or not, shed season. I, I look forward to seeing what, what made it through. If you could sit down and talk with any one person, be it past or present, uh, regarding the art of, of hunting, who would that person be and why? I would have to say Fred Bear or Saxon Pope, one of those two be, guys. It'd be, be hard to go wrong with, with either one there, wouldn't it? Absolutely. What's one thing in your deer hunting arsenal that you cannot live without gosh that's tough man because i don't want to say my bow because i'd still go gun hunting. i don't want to say my gun because i still go <laughs> bow hunting it certainly isn't camouflage because i'd go in a flannel i'd go out there in my underwear if i had to um i guess my hunting license <laughs> that's pretty good you got you got to stay legal one thing in your turkey hunting arsenal that you can't live without Oh man, if if I gotta have a mouth call, I just give me a mouth call. I'm not good enough about setting up on them just to ambush them, and I give me a mouth call. I'll, I'll make it happen. What's your all-time favorite hunt and why? Man, I've had some really good ones, um, and oddly enough, I don't think any of them actually uh, actually included me harvesting anything. It was. <laughs> um, being with my son when he killed his first deer, oh, yeah. he was eight years old. That's that's right up there at the top. Being with my wife when she killed her first turkey, that'd be right up the top. Being with my brother when he killed his first turkey, 
that's a crazy story. I got to tell you this real quick. I had already filled my turkey tag in Indiana, and um, my brother was wanting to go turkey hunting. He'd never killed a turkey before. And I had these, there was these three jakes, and I apologize if you boys are totally against shooting jakes, but I've been known to shoot a couple jakes in my time. <laughs> but there was these three jakes that were like clockwork coming out in this field at the same spot every day at the same time. So I told my brother, I was like, hey, if you're okay with shooting a jake, I said, I got you set up. Let's go hunt. He said, all right. And at the time, he was working third shift. He was working nights. So I think he thought I was full of crap the entire time when I said, hey, man, this is going to happen. And I had it down like 9.15 a.m. I was like, these turkeys are going to show up at 9.15. Be ready. And he's like, okay, okay. Well, you know, it gets about 8.45, and we're sitting up. I got, I put even some brush in front of us so we could sit there comfortably. And uh, about 8.45, I look over at him. I'm like, hey, man, you ready? About half an hour, we're going to be here. And he's like, yeah, yeah, I'm ready. I was like, all right. About 9 o'clock, I'm like, hey, put your gun up there on your knee. Get ready. It's getting ready to happen. He's like, 9 10 i look over and i'm like hey man you ready he's like yeah man i'm ready he goes i don't think it's gonna happen but i'm ready okay 9 15 i mean them birds were like clockwork three jakes show up right in front of me 15 yards so i'm like shoot 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 and i'm like why is he not shooting i slightly do this number look over and there he is dead asleep <laughs> with the gun laying in his lap. And I'm like, these birds start, <laughs> I mean, they're bugging out. They start turning to go. And I yell, I'm like, shoot. And he comes from dead asleep to one motion, pulling up and firing. And he rolls one of those jakes. Well, then I was like, go get him. He's like, what do I do? What do I do? I said, go get him. Well, he goes out there and guys, it was the funniest thing I'd ever seen in my life. When he gets out to that bird, that bird's kind of coming to a little bit and it's coming up like that. And I'm like, all right, man, grab him, grab him. And he didn't know what to do. He literally takes that Jake, he gets it in a headlock, and he's doing this number here. <laughs> and he, do, he does like, he jumps up in the air and body slams that Jake, and he's rolling around, and there's blood just kind of going everywhere. And he gets done, and that Jake had zero feathers on his breast. He had that little nubbin beard sticking out, and he had three feathers left in his tail fan. So I called my brother three feather for a long time. But that was the best thing I'd tell you. So that's one of my favorite hunts there. I'll never forget that. That's a good story. What What's your weapon of choice? I, I got to go with my Matthews Triax. I love that bow. I, um, I haven't upgraded in the last couple of years just because I, you know, I, I shoot the new bows at some of the local shops it's kind of tough because I'm a left-hander. I, you know, it's hard to go into certain places and be able to shoot the new bows, but I absolutely love my triax. It just feels right. I shot, I'm not much on changing when it comes to bows. I shot a Matthew switchback for like 12 or 13 years uh, before I started, you know, upgrading a little bit, but I, I, I love the triax. So that's probably my weapon of choice. Of all the game species, if you could only pick one of them to hunt, what would that be? Ooh. Well, number one, I'll say this. I've never been able to elk hunt yet. I've never moose hunted and I've never bear hunted. All three of those are on my bucket list. But of the ones that I've hunted, you know, it's mainly, you know, small game and then deer and turkey. Boy, if you ask me in the fall, I'm going to say deer. And if you ask me in the spring, <laughs> it's probably going to be turkey. And I go back and forth every year. And it's like every year deer season, I'm, I'm sitting there saying, man, I love deer hunting. It's my favorite thing to do. 
and then spring rolls around and I'm like, man, I love turkey hunting. It's, it's my favorite thing to do. So I don't know that I could pick. I really don't. And if you ask me in the middle of summer, I'm probably going to say it's bass fishing. So <laughs> I guess I reserve my right to change my opinion at all times. I guess. That reminds me <laughs> like being a kid, you know, sports, basketball season, man, love basketball. It's the best sport, you know, in baseball yep. time is baseball. What uh, what person's helped you the most in life and getting you where you are today? Well, I got to say my dad. You know, it, it wouldn't be uh, – and, and it's not, not really anything outdoor driven whatsoever, but my dad is, in my opinion, he's like a giant. You know, he's just uh, – he taught me everything that is built within me about integrity and treating people right, you know, and just – and managing issues, whether that's – working on something that needs worked on or, or just, just being a good person, you know, I have to come down with that. What's the best advice you've ever received? Follow the golden rule. Can't that's go, it. You can't go wrong with it. Can you? Yep. That's, that's the best. All right. If you could only have three songs on a musical playlist, what the heck would they be? Man. I'm not a music nut by any means. I can tell you, you can you can mark off every rap, hip hop, rock and roll song. My wife's over right now, going like, right now, like she can't believe that. I, I tell you what, you guys are gonna think I'm crazy. I'm gonna throw this guy up there. He gets a lot of flack from people, and I don't know why. Luke Bryan, it, man, I like the guy. Yeah. I like the guy, and people say he's not country, but he he's got two songs that I just love: hunting, fishing, loving every day. Mm -hmm. And then there's a new song that he sings with somebody else, and I can't remember who it is, but it's By Dirt. And that's just, yeah. I love those two songs right there. And then you got to throw in Fred Bear with, uh, you know, Ted Nugent. Mm -hmm. That's a great song. So I guess off the top of my head, I'd go with those three right now. All right. Pretty darn good. Yeah, Luke Bryan gets beat up a lot, you know, and and I don't I don't know why he's an easy punching bag, you know, maybe the tight jeans or whatnot, but he seems like just, <laughs> you know, he. I mean, he seemed, maybe it's just because I can't get in them. You know, I'm not, I'm too old to be wearing skinny jeans, but although much skinnier than I was a year ago, same for you, shit. There you go. <laughs> you know, seems like just an incredible, nice human being, though, doesn't he? You know, and yeah, he I does. tell you what, if you look at his backstory, I don't know if you've looked at it, but man, that's how you talk about dealing with tragedy. Now, he has, he's done it. You know, I think both of his siblings died at not a real young age either. You know, I don't think of teenage years, and then some, I think he had to take like, one of his siblings' uh, children, and he took them in, and they've lost, you know, somebody. It's just amazing when you when you hear it. I don't know it exactly, obviously, but, you know, for somebody to deal with all that and then have the positive yeah. personality he does. So, I he, mean, the guy's I, country. He, he's I earned the right he to wear. Bad rap. He's earned the yeah, right he, to wear skinny jeans, really, with what he's doing. Yep, yep. He gets a bad rap, <laughs> and I think, you know, if I was defaulting with one thing, it's wearing – Wearing girl jeans or something like that, but hey, to each his own. That's you know, right. I mean, if the guy wants That's to wear right. girl jeans, let him wear girl jeans. He's a good guy. I think. That's right. Shed, you got anything uh, you want to hit Dave with here before we before we head out? I don't. Well, Dave, I appreciate you taking time with us. It's nice to again. I, I'm not kidding you now when I say I, every night that we'd talk. You know, I'm like. Who, where, who the heck is this guy? I know this voice. I mean, you know how it is when you get something in your head and you can't figure it out, you know, and that's that's where I've been over the years. It's like one of the greatest mysteries has been solved in my world. Appreciate you having on here. You you tell some great stories and appreciate and just enjoyed listening to you. So thanks for taking the time with us today. And what 
from Pro Talk Outdoors. You got anything coming up you want to share or any guests that you've got scheduled that would be of interest for folks? Man, just uh, just tune in. We uh, we kind of fly by the seat of our pants a little bit. We got some guys that are committed to coming on, but uh, I don't want to share that necessarily because I know plans change sometimes, especially in this COVID world we're living in right now. So, uh, But yeah, just check it out. We're on Sportsman's Nation podcast. You can watch In a Rut on Carbon TV. And, and guys, I, I just appreciate the opportunity to come on and uh, BS with you guys a little bit. I, I appreciate what you guys are doing and um, maybe next time we get together, we can uh, not be hitting golf balls around. Maybe we'll be fishing or, or uh, chasing turkeys or yeah, something. That would be outstanding. You know, wouldn't it be yeah. great? And, and it's, it's unrealistic, I know, because I don't know how many hunters we visit with each week, folks in the hunting industry. So to, for all of us to be in a deer camp or turkey camp is really not realistic, you know, but wouldn't it be fun? That <laughs> would know? be a blast. Not, not to mention you know? whoever's property would want 100 people rolling in there for, <laughs> for whatever it oh, was. Oh, yeah. But. You know, and that, that's one of those things where – it would be great. I miss I, I miss sometimes the shows, whether it's the consumer shows or, you know, the ATA or doing something like that, just because it's a good opportunity to get everybody together a little bit. But, yeah, being able to share a hunt camp would be absolutely fantastic. But, yeah, it's a little bit unrealistic, and nobody's going to want their property to be down <laughs> yeah. with that many guys. Right? Everybody likes each other, but there are limits, aren't there? There's, there's yeah, boundaries absolutely. there. Will you be at the ATA show this, uh, this next year? I don't know. Uh... Probably will be. Good Lord willing, and a creek don't rise, we'll be there. You know, it's right there on uh, Ohio muzzleloader season. Same dates as Ohio muzzleloader. Yeah, so you, I always thought that's so bad timing for some of those guys that yeah. still got season left, but uh, got to have it sometime, you know. You got to get it in there sometime. That you do. Well, Dave, again, we sure appreciate it, and uh, so thanks for joining us. And Shed, uh, hope that finger gets well. Keep doing your keep doing your work, and. Uh, We'll yep. be busy with both of you guys probably. We'll probably meet tomorrow night, aren't we? So I'll probably see both of y'all tomorrow night, I guess. Yep. yep. Sounds right. good. Well, you guys take care. Yep. All right. Have a good one. Thank you for spending time today with Shed and I and our guest, Mr. Dave Barrett of the Pro Talk Outdoors podcast and the Interrupt TV show. There just isn't a finer guy or a better representative of the outdoor and hunting world than Dave Barrett. His passion, enthusiasm, his positive outlook and his love of family are traits that we can all learn from. Please assist Shed and I by liking and rating today's episode and by subscribing to the Foshi Creek Podcast. We are not a sponsored podcast, so the only way we can reach a broader audience is by word of mouth and the number of subscriptions, likes, and positive ratings that we receive. Please share our content on your social media platforms and with all your hunting and outdoor friends. Thank you again for listening, and as always, we learned everything we knew down on Foshi Creek.